Hello and welcome to Words in a Time of Lockdown, a podcast from the Writer's Block, exploring creativity and creative writing in a time of change. The Writer's Block is the Creative Writing Centre for Cornwall and I am Polly Roberts, a writer and member of the Writer's Block team. This season I'm talking with writers living in and connected to Cornwall. We hope you find some warmth and inspiration in what you hear. In this episode, I speak with Emily Barr, author of 12 novels for adults and four for young adults. Emily began her career as a journalist, and through numerous happy accidents, she's become a prolific and varied author, with international publications of horror, psychological thrillers, YA and more. Hi, Emily. Thank you so much for joining me today on this podcast. Um, It's a very odd time. We're in our third lockdown oh, I can barely believe it I know. how are you doing oh god okay it's, <laughs> it's all getting a bit old now isn't it and the weather's not as nice as in the first lockdown and it's a bit hard to remember what day it is or what time of day it is or it is, anything it? yes all a bit yeah grim. it really I think the weather does make a very big difference this time around or at least for me and and just like you say it, it kind of getting a bit old I mean so you were working from home homeschooling and trying to write is that right all at the <laughs> yes same time? yes I am although the homeschooling isn't too bad because my children are older than than primary age they're all in secondary school one's at university one's at okay. sixth form college and one is in year 10 so she's the one mainly doing the homeschooling and okay doesn't need too much interaction. I feel, I really feel for the the parents doing the whole primary school curriculum from home while trying to do write their books and oh, do their gosh, work and yeah. things. It must be awful. It must be so difficult. Do you um do you normally do a lot of your work from home anyway? The writing element of it. Yeah, I completely work from home. So in that sense, it hasn't made very much difference to me, um, except emotionally, it feels very different. But yeah. yes, I I always work from home. Although I do always. When I get to a point where I just can't bear it anymore and the walls are closing in on me, my, I used to pick up my laptop and just go and sit in a cafe and carry on writing there, which obviously isn't an option. But then again, there's a pandemic and if your worst problem is that you can't go to a cafe, then I think you're doing quite well. <laughs> I mean, I'm fully with you on that. It's um, you know, a very valid reason for us all to be living very differently. But I think yeah. there is something as a writer of, I mean... I always come back to that thing of there's a reason why Virginia Woolf wrote A Room of One's Own and just that importance of space as a writer. And I know for myself, just having that space at home, but also being able to go to different spaces is really crucial. It is. Yeah, sometimes, sometimes at home, I don't know about you, but sometimes I, especially if there's a part of me trying to sabotage myself a bit and kind of going, I don't really want to do this writing today. Suddenly I'll be like, oh, I could put some washing on. I could go and unload mm. the dishwasher. And sometimes you just have to be able to step away from all that stuff, don't you? But that's mm. not currently an option, but, you know, it will be. It will be again one day. Mm. So, yeah, I was wondering about how COVID has affected your writing life in general, other than just being at home and everything being at home. Would you normally be going out to be teaching at Falmouth or doing some other stuff like that? Um, A few bits and pieces. I do pop into, um, my husband Craig teaches writing for children at Falmouth and I do pop in when they're doing YA, which I did this time via Teams. So it's not quite the same, is it? I also um, teach uh, courses for the Arvon Foundation sometimes and 
I've done one of those over Zoom um, before Christmas, so that was a totally different experience um, teaching teaching a kind of full time writing course for a week over Zoom. Gosh, yeah. um, it was it was better than it sounds like it's going to be. I did enjoy it, but it took a lot of um, getting used to, and it actually made me be much more organised because rather than just normally when I go and teach a residential course like that I'll just stand in front of a flip chart and write mm. things up as I think of them and and well it'll be much more um improvisational and this time I had to put everything into slides beforehand so I could flick through them while I was talking and keep telling people to keep their microphones on and jump in and talk if they wanted to because otherwise you it's much easier to slip into a kind of going through a slide yes show. Yeah, talking when it's much nicer when you've got a bit of back and forth. It's really on, so. interesting, isn't it? It does change things because I think I said to you before that um I did also I did an oven course as a participant this year and I really yes. enjoyed it. But I was really surprised at how well it worked and I have noticed both from kind of hosting workshops with the writers block and being participant on mm. various online workshops. There is that difference normally when someone's leading a session or when I've led a session there's there's a lot of that back and forth and kind of organically working off of the moment and that in a way is well it's more difficult because there's the turn your microphone on turn your microphone off element (laughs) but it does kind of offer space for quite a kind of snappy well uh, well focused session I guess yeah, it it I was surprised at how well it worked once we got used to it. Um but it's just different, isn't it? I would much rather be with people in real mm. life. And also, you know when you're writing, you I've always really enjoyed the bits where you get to step away from the yes. laptop and your book and go out and talk to actual human beings. I, I love that part of it and I love book festivals and travel and mm. all of those things that that we haven't been able to do this year that is so, so true isn't it it's something I think I was talking to Anna about in the last podcast was it's so easy to mm. say oh you're a writer you work from home you work on the computer anyway nothing's changed but I think because so much of that time is on the computer focused on your own words there's extra emphasis on the importance of getting out and about and connecting with people and sharing with your readers yes Yes, totally. I I love it when you get to actually meet readers in real life. It's so different from social media or anything that you can do on your computer. One of the last things I did before this lockdown, one of the last trips I did was to a book festival in the Netherlands and it was just magical. It was in the summer of 2019 and I went by train to to London and then to Brussels and then on to Amsterdam from there and then from there on to Eindhoven where the festival was and it was looking back on it I I got the thing like Instagram does of saying um, this is what you were doing a year ago and I got that in June I think and it felt so alien to look at this it was so hot and so sunny and there was like the canals in Amsterdam I did something at Waterstones there and then went on to this festival where we had a day of, it was a YA festival and it was just so much fun. There were so many readers and they were so engaged. It was so exciting. And um, I really, really, really miss that mm-hmm. that side of life. Gosh, it's so surreal, isn't it? A friend phoned me the other day and said, oh, Facebook just told me a year ago I was in India playing with monkeys. And I, oh. I thought, oh, how is that possible? That's, it's, it yeah. just felt so far away for her. And yeah, I could barely even remember Absolutely. that she'd gone. That's amazing. <laughs> I mean, travelling is 
a re- it plays a big part in a lot of your books, doesn't it? A lot of them are abroad. It does, yes. Yes, it does. I started writing fiction when I was travelling because I was travelling for... Um, as a journalist in my, my old, old life when I was a not very good journalist. Um, <laughs> and I was always, I, looking back on it, I found a way while working at a newspaper to write something that was completely fictional. So that was a little clue to me. I mean, you could say that a lot of what's in newspapers <laughs> is completely fictional, but this was was a, a column. It was in the era of Bridget Jones and it was a column in the Guardian sports section where I would pretend that I um, lived with a bloke who was obsessed by football and it was um, actually very sexist looking back on it but at the time I was just like yeah I'll write a a column for you but it was it was completely made up so that was my first clue and then I moved on from that to write a travel column which I was very surprised the travel editor let me do but she did where I went away on my own for a year and um, wrote a column for the travel wow. section while I was there and that was where I started thinking I've I have finally got time and space to actually start trying to write a book and also I felt like the backpacking circuit around Southeast Asia in particular was would be a great setting for a, a thriller so I started writing there so I suppose I started writing travel based thrillers and then kind of carried on although the kind of books I've written have have changed since then Mm. but um yeah I just I love I love going to a new place and just looking at it and then writing it all down it's one of my very favorite yeah well me too it's it's funny that I guess like you saying with yourself I I was always writing and was always interested in writing but it for me starting longer projects did start as well on a big trip away and oh did it yeah Yeah. it's just it's something about being somewhere new that my mind kind of opens up to observing more, I think. And and then I just, I guess there's the time and space as well to be writing down more and, and new things kind of inspire new thoughts. Completely, yes. And you're so completely away from your day-to-day life. It's like everything is exciting. Every little detail Absolutely. is you see the little differences and I, I love feeling like a stranger and a foreigner somewhere as well and seeing things that, that are so far removed from in my case um true yes <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean I noticed that you at some point over the last few months put a tweet out saying that you'd gone to Newlyn for the day to to plot a new book yeah. was that kind of adventure enough to be able to get something new going <laughs> yes it was quite exciting yes um yes that was obviously before this lockdown and it was a nice sunny day and I didn't all my kids were busy doing their own stuff and um I just thought oh, I'm gonna get a train to Penzance and go for a walk and it was lovely and I did end up sitting on the, the stony beach at the Newlyn end of Penzance plotting a book and then walked up up a little bit beyond that so that was very exciting so that that was a very 2020 <laughs> bit of excitement to sit on a train for 40 minutes and then feel like I was on holiday. Gosh but it is isn't it I mean I get a bit nostalgic about the thought of sitting on a train now. <laughs> yes absolutely it does feel quite exotic now. So did you know you were going there to plot did you kind of have a book in mind oh my next book might be set around that area or, or did you just have an urge that day of maybe something lies there? Well, a little bit of both. I was, I'd been thinking I'd like to write another um, psychological thriller for adults because my most recent books have been YA and then a horror book, which is currently only published in the US. 
So I thought I might like to go back to where I began, really, and write a psychological thriller. And I knew because it was 2020 at the time that it was going to I was going to have to find my setting a lot closer to home. So I, I did go off there with a notebook, but then I I just I did a lot more plotting than I expected to right. just sitting on the beach looking at the sea. Oh, it's just lovely. I thought, gosh, what a nice kind of gift to yourself as a writer, because it it is important to take yourself to the scene of where you're going to be writing, or at least I find that a really important element of getting into the story. And, and yeah, was it difficult kind of leading up to going, oh, okay, it's 2020, I'm going to write a book set here. Was there kind of struggle there or, or were you deep in the middle of getting your other books out anyway that you, you weren't actually feeling that frustration yet at writing something new? Well, I think since... One thing that this last year has done is make me, I suppose, appreciate Cornwall a lot more. I, not that I didn't appreciate it before, but it, it is a really interesting place, isn't it? And um, I've, I've now got on the go a, um, well, this psychological thriller book, which is a little bit further advanced now. And I think my next young adult book, which won't be published for a long time because the one that was supposed to be out last year is now coming mm. out this year and it's pushed everything back a bit. But anyway, the next YA book I'm going to write is also a, a kind of Cornish set, Agatha Christie-inspired young adult murder mm. mystery, which is just, I'm having loads of fun plotting that as well. So that means that quite soon I'll be finding that I'm writing two books at the same time and both of them are very much anchored into Cornwall, which actually is something I'm really enjoying. It's a nice thing to do to to sub- to actually have to stop and look at the area around mm. you a little bit more and and there's so much here now with um i suppose the effects that brexit is going to have and the second home the whole issues of second homes and and covid and people coming down not that i'm writing about brexit and covid because i don't think anyone wants to read about that but i think as a, a sort of background to the to the place there's there's lots and lots of undercurrents around it's it's a really interesting thing to mm. to actually force yourself to tune into it a little bit more it is true isn't it because there there is always a lot going on but I mean now in particular does feel rife with it and and why not start where you're stood I've noticed that several of your other books do also have Cornwall featuring in them they do yes they do it's kind of a source of inspiration is that why you ended up down in Cornwall certain elements drawing you here Yes, I do. I mean, it it is a really unique place, isn't it? It's really wonderful. I I do love living here, and I love it that my children have grown up here. I've been here about twelve years now, mm. and it very much feels like home. And it's lovely to to go away on these trips when one can, and then come back to Cornwall again and feel feel um, like I'm really back home. So yeah, I I do love I love it as a as a place to write and I love it as a place to write about and it is actually probably quite good for me to to not be able to go anywhere else for a little bit and to to have my writing totally focused around here. It's um it's good and I think it's also somewhere that that people are interested in. A lot of people come down here on holidays and see one side of it and then there's there's a whole other side of it of what life is actually like. That's really for, true. For people down here. That's really true. It's interesting, that does strike me in your work that um, you seem very interested in current issues and what's going on at the moment. I mean, I, I saw I started reading your um, Things to Do Before the End of the World. Thank you so much for sending that to me. And um, I was really struck by the diversity of issues and scenarios and just, I mean, even the fact that talking about the climate crisis, but in such a particular 
way of tuning so deeply into it being so real and is that really what fuels you kind of seeing what's happening and wanting to involve that in your book somehow yes it's it's an interesting time I suppose isn't it to be alive and there's so much happening I I think I'm sure you find it as well that if there's something playing on your mind it does tend to come out in your writing so climate change although it's been kind of shoved out of our consciousness a little bit by all the more immediate crises at the moment it it is always there and it is something I worry about a lot for the next generations so with things to do before the end of the world which is um, the book that should have been out in 2020 but is actually going to be out this later this year instead because of Covid obviously yeah. um, it, it, I wanted to to look at, at climate change and kind of push it to its extreme so I kind of found a, a fictional way of of bringing bringing it so that the world is about to end in in a number of months' time because of something I skate over the science of um, very very rapidly because I just sort of very sciencey thing here um, and then yes just how would it feel if if you knew that this was going to be the last summer of human life so that it was it was quite fun to play with it but also quite scary mm, I can really hear it actually that there's something um in you that gets excited about the idea that, oh this could be fun oh that could be an experiment is that yeah. kind of how writing feels to you like oh a playful element <laughs> yes it I suppose things like scary things going I think that's how I ended up writing horror um it is scary things that are going on and then but then the more you look at them the more you see other aspects of it and I suppose in writing about something you are in a way changing it into entertainment but also trying to make other people think about about certain elements of things that are going on it's um it's it's a strange a strange thing isn't it yeah yes no absolutely I mean that was I guess two of the things on my mind as well was I thought wow is there a certain part of you that that wants these things discussed as in um the the environment is important to you and and sharing that is important Um, but also I kind of thought how do you write these dark things how do you go to sleep at night how but is it kind of a way of you working through them yourself to make them yes I think so I think if you get you kind of get your dark side out onto onto a page it makes everything feel it's kind of almost therapy I think for me to to write down the worst case scenarios and then everything feels a little bit lighter in real life um but yes, the, the climate issues very much is something that I think we we all ignore or I don't know what you would do. I, I Before all of this, I had done my very best to stop going on planes and that was why I went to that, really? that Netherlands festival by train. I hadn't been on a plane for quite a while and now, of course, there hasn't been the opportunity to anyway. So, But then what do you do? You, you stop flying. Um, it makes no difference whatsoever to anything. Mm-hmm. And all, I think all you can do is try and do your own best and sign all the petitions for all the good that does I, I don't know it's very easy to feel hopeless I suppose and by writing about it you feel a little bit less hopeless but I don't really know why because it doesn't actually change anything that's amazing no but it's a really interesting thought because I guess there's some sense of self-empowerment that can happen by getting to explore the topic on the page and and something does happen from it I mean i Gosh, I was so struck by how different this book, um, Things to Do Before the End of the World, was to things I'd read when I was younger. I just thought, gosh, if only there had been books like this, because 
we do know that now that I think young people are really aware of quite huge issues that potentially people some people are still saying oh you're too young you shouldn't be thinking about these things but actually they're already a huge amount of people anyway already thinking about the climate crisis and um and the effect that might have on their future and these kind of darker areas and so to find that empathy of someone writing about that I mean who knows what comes from it but we know that empathy is a really deep place a positive kind of place to go to yes yes and I suppose it is it is something that we like I suppose capitalist modern life ignores because it's more convenient to just ignore it and carry on doing what we're doing so I suppose the more people are writing and talking about it the the more difficult it becomes to ignore perhaps yeah um, but yes, I, I agree. I, I look at my children and look at the world that they're coming into. They've already, they're like, my eldest is 19 now and they've, all of them had their freedom of movement taken mm. away that, that we that we all had when we were younger with, and they weren't even able to vote. Mm. I hate Brexit so much. And just seeing, seeing the effect that's having on their generation when none of them voted, none of them were able to vote in that election. And here they all are sort of, all the all the generation who are teenagers 18 19 20 who didn't have any say in it whatsoever suddenly have their horizons cut right mm. down it's um it, it, i do i do always worry for them i am very concerned for their generation for the the world that they're stepping into seems like it's it's a very very weird one is it having children yourself that kind of led you to writing way because i i am really moved by how you can empathize so deeply with that age Range. I wonder if that's something that's kind of come more recently. Oh, thank you. Yes, it. I I got into it by accident. I think I was right. I'd written this whole string of travel-related psychological thrillers, and then I got to the last one of those I wrote was called Sleeper, and it was set on the um, sleeper train between London and Cornwall, which was really really fun to write. And then I I'd finished that. It sold quite well, better than a lot of my other ones, and. My publisher, my then publisher, really wanted me to write more of the same, just to write basically another version of that same book. Mm. And I had a completely different book that I'd started writing, which was set in the Arctic. And it was about a um, a young woman who, she was there and she didn't really know why she was there and there was snow all around. It was a kind of very image-driven thing, I think. I just had this vision in my head of the of her in the snow, not quite knowing what she was doing there, trying to work things out. And so I was trying to develop that. And my my then editor basically hated it, but she didn't quite put, <laughs> didn't quite put it like that, though in that very polite publishing way. She was like, well, I feel that if you if you made it a little bit more conventional, it might, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. So she hated it. And um, we had this kind of back and forth about whether we could compromise the book that I wanted to write into the book that she wanted me to write and decided in the end it just wasn't working so I was trying at the same time to start writing the book I was meant to be writing which was the only way I was going to get a publishing contract which was the thing I was at that point a single mother of three much smaller children and I really needed and it was my main income so anyway in the end it was a long story but it it just didn't work out. So I decided I'd write my Arctic book and just really, really step up all my freelance work to keep afloat, which I just about did. So then I'm there with this Arctic book, looking at it and thinking it, 
it was almost working, but it wasn't quite working. And then when I made the protagonist a bit younger, she was in her 20s, I made her 17. And suddenly it all worked because it, it kind of worked as a coming of age story. Um, it just needed that bit of extra element of her being mm-hmm. in that, that sort of magical place between being a child and being an adult. And then, of course, that meant that it, suddenly I found out that that meant it was YA which completely changes the whole publishing process. It wasn't something I was really aware of before, but I then ended up moving within the same agency I was at. I switched to um, a children's agent there who knew all about how YA works, and she was fantastic. She was actually only at Curtis Brown for about two years, and in that time she helped me get my book my arctic book kind of into shape as a ya book and she sold it to penguin so that was two two years of work as far as i was concerned and then she left so that was um that was amazing i felt very lucky to have had her so focused yeah um so she yeah in the end she sold that book to penguin and then i suddenly found that i was writing ya so (laughs) That, <laughs> that was happened. it was a happy accident That's amazing yeah, it it's really lovely to think that just kind of following organically what what the story brought to you and what worked for it has led to this place and are you now quite yes. um purposeful about what you feel is important to be portraying in YA or, or is it still just that you are saying what you were seeing or what you're thinking because I'm, I'm I'm really aware that there was there are so in um, Things to Do Before the End of the World, there's LGBTQ characters. You discuss mental mm-hmm. health issues. And we've got um, that really commonplace of having four parents, the the two parents and the two step parents, yes. that I actually think actually that rarely comes up in literature. But that is such a common scenario. And I just thought, oh, yeah, are you thinking actively or oh, what's what's happening for young people these days or um i i suppose i'm i'm not not kind of sitting down thinking right here's my checklist got to get all of this in but <laughs> but um it's i suppose i'm bringing in bits of my own experience bits of my children's experience bits of their friend i'm terrible with their friends i've always like trying to mind or back in the day back in the day when they used to be able to come to our house i would be always trying to mind people for for what they think about things um but yes I suppose I mean I I grew up with um a stepfather and a stepmother and like all the different parents and in things to do before the end of the world there's a a much younger half brother and sister who are very much um inspired by my younger half brother and sister from my dad's second marriage who are now like um Theo, my my much younger brother, is now a news correspondent in Moscow, and my my little sister Stella is producing the second series of Gentleman Jack. So they're wow. they're very much not the little tiny toddlers anymore. But they, I was kind of sixteen and eighteen when they were born, and I had very much the same babysitting relationship that Libby does in the book with them, and I just loved it. I think that's a really nice relationship that you don't really see very mm-hmm. much portrayed in anything, and it can be lovely you like whatever the the adult generation has done the um the younger generations make their own connections Mm. and and it's it's can be a really lovely lifelong thing I now talk to my little my little tiny um brother and sister in um Moscow and Leeds where where um Stella's currently filming um every talk every Sunday with our dad and it's uh, it's really lovely so I suppose I just wanted to get in the some of the the experience of family is very much not um, necessarily 
two parents, two children, yeah. conventional household. It could be just so much more interesting and um, yeah, and well, it's fun. so lovely to kind of give space to those elements in that time of life. Like you said, it's a very soft time in our lives, and um, and I really like this thing of you saying, well, what happens in the adults' lives moves on and obviously impacts the younger lives and they're experiencing it very differently so to kind of give that attention and and portray it is just such a brilliant gift um I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about I'm realizing we're talking all about things to do before the end of the world but if you could sort of describe what the book is and and how you kind of came to this story so it's a story of the protagonist is called Libby and she's um 16 at the beginning of it and she's very shy um, and she's all, and that I suppose that came from when I was younger. I was very shy, and I can really remember how difficult it was to speak to people. I grew out of it as I grew up. But she's she's um, at sixth form college, and she just finds it really, really difficult to come out of herself and talk to people. But but she, the one thing she does love is acting, so she can do it when she's pretending to be someone else. But anyway, she's um, so she's there at sixth form college, and then this announcement pops up on everybody's phone that um, this kind of vague sciencey thing has happened <laughs> changing changing the atmosphere as things melt in the ice caps and humans won't be able to breathe the air anymore and that the end is going to come on September the 17th which I picked because it's my husband's <laughs> birthday although I then felt a little bit bad about it I think it just felt like yeah it felt like a memorable date for me um so yeah his birthday is now end of the That's world brilliant day. and also because I wanted to have a September date when um so they could there could be one last increasingly hot summer on earth so then there's that the whole idea of what do you do when you know that time's running out how do you how do you spend the the last from the beginning of the book um approximately 8 months of of your life and then there's a tiny bit like it might not happen they might be able to correct it it might be okay so it's not definite that everybody's going to die on this day but um it's it's probable so she and her mum and stepdad end up going to Spain and renting a, a lovely house there with a pool and just deciding to to wait it out there for a little bit get away from the craziness and then a cousin that she didn't previously know she'd had gets in touch from America and says that she's coming over and she's going to come and visit them she wants she's traveling and traveling and traveling trying to do everything she possibly can before the end of the world so this cousin Natasha turns up and she's very charismatic and very charming and she wants to take Libby for some adventures while they still can. So I won't go into what happens after that, but she's, um, they go to Madrid and they go to Paris and then things unravel a little bit and nothing turns out to be quite what she, she thought it would be. And it gets very hot and very heady. And um, yes, lots of things, lots of things um, go wrong. Oh, it's amazing. It's so, it's so interesting how... Um, appropriate it is to this time I I couldn't believe that you could have even managed to kind of create in your head what it might feel like for everything to stop and to think that things could be coming to an end so close and what would you do with that moment and what would become important to you because I, I think that's all kind of going on for a lot of us at the moment <laughs> does it feel kind of eerie to you too it it does feel eerie and it also feels quite chilling to think I now look at that book and it makes me feel a bit wistful because they've got hot sunshine mm. everybody's traveling everybody's going to parties there's um it, 
I actually partly wrote it as a response to Brexit because it's um, it, a lot of it is set in Europe and um, Spain and France. So I was I was kind of wanting to to write about Europe. There's a lot of European travel, a lot of trains and sunshine mm. and amazing cities. And I look at that now and think, oh, that would wouldn't that be nice? To, and then obviously it wouldn't, it obviously wouldn't be nice because the world would be going to end. But but even my apocalyptic book now looks quite um, looks quite aspirational to me from here. It's, I mean that's true. That element of it is, but I it's responding to a different crisis. But it it a lot yes. of it did really um, amaze me at how true to form it was though the the kind of feelings that came up at least that emotional response and how different people respond to it and and what people choose to do and have you kind of noticed oh actually I was a bit spot on there there this is how things go or or have you kind of seen that there are many differences in in current day it I mean I I this current situation is so strange isn't it I had my my previous book which um, isn't yet published in this country and I don't know if and when it will be because it's a pandemic book so I wrote this pandemic horror book before the pandemic came along which which does also completely freak me out and in that I had done a lot of research into what would happen if there was a pandemic and came up against ideas of lockdown and things like that and didn't it's actually set just after the pandemic so it doesn't come into it very much but the thing I didn't foresee very much in that book I think I gave it a little glancing mention was was people protesting against it and saying it was a hoax and it's just you can't really ever quite predict Mm. what what people will do can Mm. you um and I I suppose um the yeah I Looking at looking at things to do before the end of the world now, there's a, a sort of big um, movement to travel, to see your family, to go to where to other places that are important to you or places where you might have roots and that kind of thing. There's, it feels like it's all about movement there, and here we are with the um, the absolute opposite yeah. of of being able to go anywhere. So I'm I'm just I can't wait to be able to just travel again it will be amazing yeah it? oh gosh it, I, I travel in my mind all the time now mm. how has it been um having the book be postponed because that that's quite a huge shit I mean I imagine that that book feels quite far away to you as well now and to kind of be still sitting waiting to do that launch and the events and everyone asking you to kind of enter back into this world that you left behind a while ago how how is that yes for you? It it is strange. I I completely understand why it was postponed. Its original publication date was uh, I think July twenty twenty, and it was I think about in about April. Um, Penguin said they would be postponing it to twenty twenty one, and I I do I completely understand why they did that. And it will be lovely to to have it out this year and to finally see it. It's got a lovely cover. Mm. It's bright red, and it's got the Eiffel Tower on it, and it it looks lovely. And it'll be really exciting to to see it. It it does i mean apart from anything all these books being postponed has a huge knock on economic effect so that the publication of that book was my main um work event for the year economically right. and so that then got postponed to next year so everything gets kind of pushed all the books get pushed back a year i've written my next YA book which is completely different again it's a kind of paranormal romance set in um a shopping mall in 
in a um, kind of Torquay, although it's not called Torquay. So completely wow. different again. And I'm just doing the final edits of that one and really, really enjoying it. But then I'm thinking well, that that will be out in 2022. And then the this next one, the, the um, Cornish Agatha Christie YA book that I'm also slightly working on, just beginning to, that will be for 2023. Wow. So it begins to all feel a little bit um, distant future. Gosh, that is, I hadn't even actually considered that element of it that, um, yeah, and I imagine people are receiving advances that then aren't going to be able to be kind of any more added to that for a while longer. And, yeah. Or the, because often it, it will be split out over time depending on when your book's released, won't it? So it will. It'll generally be um, a third for signature, a third for, for delivery of the actual finished book um, after some edits, and then a third on publication. So the the publication money is you know, it is a significant mm. amount of any author's income, I think, mm. and um, it it is um, it does have it has a big knock on effect. And also, just thinking that 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 delay then is never quite going to stop, is it? So from from now for no. a while, <laughs> you'll be releasing books. I mean, it's always quite a while since finishing writing a book that a book is released. Would you say? Or yes, it is. It's. Um, I, I think generally for your first book, it's it feels to me like for your first book, it's the longest. It'll be maybe two years or so and um, or 18 months. And then as you get into a cycle of of writing a book every year, if that's what you're doing, then the the amount of time a publisher is happy to to let elapse between you finishing it and then publishing it becomes shorter as they right. I suppose they know that they know how it all works and they know that you can work with them and they don't need to build in quite as much safety time but yes it, it is it is very strange to have that that extra years break um between finishing the book and um and seeing it on the shelves with things to do before the end of the world i just finished the last proofread just when lockdown came so that was in right. march and then i was expecting it to be uh, it was then going to be out in july but um, right but, but no i have haven't actually actually seen it for a while now it'll be lovely to to see it when it becomes a physical gosh it's physical so copy interesting it. it's I mean it's been funny for me seeing some of my friends um I did a master's in Bath Spa a few years ago and a couple oh, of lovely. them are just having their books their first books out this year and at the end of last oh. year and it's so wonderful oh, to gosh. see these books finally in book form but like you say it's their first books and um and it has been four years now and kind of realising that, kind of doing that clock up of, oh, my gosh, to stay with the story that long and work through it. And, yeah, I wonder where yeah. they're at with their next books. But you, So do you say you normally do manage to write a book every year? Is that your regular? Yes, I generally do. Um, I'm... At the moment, I've got lots of different books at different stages on the go. I'm just trying, partly um, for economic reasons, because of the delay of this book. But mm. I'm, I'm trying to to write to kind of keep a few things going at a time. But yes, I do. I do generally write a book, a book every year in normal times. That's phenomenal. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you're prolific. It's it's phenomenal how many books you have already written and I'd, and this thing of writing several at once you're saying that's a bit more to do with today or, or would you often find yourself with two projects going at once um I think generally if you're you could be writing a book and thinking about the next book and the um I know every author says this that when you're you're in the middle of writing a book and it it 
does of course become really difficult and you can get really bogged down and and annoyed with it and then the next book the idea for the next book will sort of be glistening in the distance kind of going like me I'll be much better and it'll look all lovely <laughs> all, all lovely and glittery and perfect um over there so I think I I do have quite a few things at different stages at the moment on the go but I know that like now I'm doing the last round of edits for my next YA book and that's the thing that I'm actually doing right. and the rest of them are, are things that I are not commissioned that I'm basically writing for my own entertainment at the right. moment and then I'll see what happens with And them. do you kind of dip in and out of all of them each day normally or, or do you try and allocate time for each one separately? Well, my my current lockdown um, strategy is that I'll do I'll edit 20 pages of the YA book, just go through that. And that'll be the first thing that I do. And then um, I, I, I quite like to wake up early and do that if I can, although it doesn't always work out like that. And then I'll get get my children into their online school and all of that stuff and then just see what I'll do something else then. Um, have a look at the files that I've got open on the computer and and see what I feel like doing and do do a little bit more. There's something quite freeing, I think, about writing something where you can just write anything mm-hmm. because nobody nobody's particularly planning to publish it. So um, just write write whatever you like and see where it goes. And that can be that could be the most fun, I think, just writing and, and seeing what what happens. That is lovely. Yeah. And I think it's really important mm. to keep that element going. I, I, I'm telling myself this right now <laughs> because yeah. I know I'm I'm struggling at the moment. I have been for a couple of years now with um, mm. having multiple projects on at once that involves a lot of editing but it always surprises me I'm seeing this pattern now that something new is happening between the seams without me even knowing it so by the time one project gets finished I suddenly look down and realize I've got a whole other new one waiting to be edited brilliant I think it's really important that between the seams I am finding that time to be yes it really is yeah I think it's that's the the joy of it and you can write some I don't know if you find this but I find I can I can write just a little bit onto a new project and then come back to it a week later and my subconscious has been doing something and I'll know exactly what's where it's going or what's going to happen next and I think that's quite nice when you can leave it to leave it to the back of your brain to kind of work on it without you knowing about it yes there is something like that isn't it it's it's amazing. I mean, because I, I do notice that where I haven't even necessarily been thinking about the thing actively or or sometimes I'll wake up as though I've dreamt about it and I will kind of have a mm. sense of what's happening. It is just going yeah. on in that subconscious somewhere. It's amazing. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It feels like you're cheating a bit, doesn't it? When you're, <laughs> you're kind of working on it without even knowing you're working on it. It's brilliant. Oh, I mean, that, that's why, though, it's it's the job that never rests isn't it it's um yes absolutely with you all the time Uh, so you mentioned this horror book and I am really curious about how how is this that you've ended up with a book that's published in the states and you don't even know if it's going to come over here yeah yeah it's really random isn't it um I wrote this but I I wrote it thinking it was a sci-fi book but it it turns out to be a horror book which is a more of a publishing industry classification thing I think than anything so I it started when I found a copy of a John Wyndham book called Chocky in a charity shop and it Chocky is I'd read it years and years ago really inappropriately young and it's about a little boy who um gets 
a, a kind of imaginary friend. It's a voice in his head, and then it turns out to be a little bit more sinister than that. And that I reread it, and it really stuck with me. And I I had this idea of a a boy with a a sinister imaginary friend. And then I started writing about it, and then I found that I was writing um, this kind of sci-fi horror story. So it is. I it's another thing I wrote just for my own entertainment, and. I sent it to my agent and she liked it and um, I did a bit of editing on it and made it into a, a proper book if you like um, mm. and then she sent it out a bit and her colleague in New York also sent it around there and the publisher that, that ended up buying it was an imprint of Penguin New York so they published it um, in in December at the beginning of December which is great it's in hardback and it um, I'm hoping that by the time the paperback comes out at the end of this year the pandemic will be a little bit behind us because I it's it just feels so weird because I it's it is set at the end it's the illness from the pandemic that this little boy in the book really he's six and he's he's really ill and then he he pulls through and gets better but he gets better with a an imaginary friend in his head who everybody first of all thinks is you know it's great it's helping him get better he's explaining the world to her and and talking to her all the time and and his mother who's one of the main protagonists sees it as a completely positive thing and then it starts to get more and more sinister and he's doing more and more weird things to um at the on the instructions of of delphi the imaginary friend so so yeah it was just just purely by chance that that the publisher that um, picked it up first was was in America so Gosh. i have this kind of weird thing of it it's set it's set here it's set in near future london and um it, it i i didn't write it as an american book but but it it now is which is again just an example of how how random life can be really in this in this mm, world i mean that yeah i guess you'd never imagined that particularly if you say like it was um written set here i mean i wonder if that mm. appeals that has you know we often will watch american films let's say and i wonder if yeah something about that book and that setting would they see as appealing to an american audience in a way you can yes perceive. yeah maybe it's um it's very strange i mean it's been lovely i've had i've had a really great time i've done lots and lots and lots of podcast interviews and radio interviews and things over there and it just feels really strange because if I talk about it on my social media or anything almost everybody is is in Europe on my social media right. and then I have to kind of go oh no sorry you can't you can't actually buy it sorry wow. um so it's it's very strange uh, tell yeah, me about the um, the pen name so you're Evie Green is that for that book that you're Evie Green yes that is yes because it's um a horror book and because my most recent books particularly published in the US have been YA I I think everybody agreed that I should use a pseudonym to so that I don't really want any 11 year olds okay. particularly buying it thinking it's a YA book um so it's just to differentiate it as a completely different sort of book so yeah green is my husband's surname and Evie was just felt like a nice name to use it um it was a pseudonym that took me about about 20 seconds to come up with it not not very imaginative one I could probably have come up with something much more kind of horrifying but um it yeah and and actually one of the things I'm working on at the moment is a, a um an outline for Evie Green's next book which I'm going to be 
I'm going to be sending that off to my agent straight after we finish. Wow. So, Does it feel a bit uh, like diff- putting a different hat on? Okay, after this, I'm going to become Evie. Mm. Yeah, it does. It's really fun. I, I set up an Instagram account for Evie, separate from my own one. And although I have neglected it terribly over Christmas and haven't posted anything on it for ages, it, I do feel like when, I, when I'm on um, Evie's Instagram, I need to be a little bit darker and a little bit more sort of incisive than when I'm on my own one. It's just mainly pictures of, of walks by the river in Truro, really boring. So so when I'm when I'm being Evie, I feel like I, I could be a little bit more um, a little bit darker. I love this. There's a whole other world. It's not just the book that you can kind of create from. Yeah. Wow, I don't think I could ever keep up to in, um, Instagram accounts or well, social no, media. No. And... I, I can't. I don't think I posted on either of them this whole year. So I must I must actually do that. Wow. <laughs> There's just too much, isn't there? There's too much to remember. I do like that freedom as well, though, because I think people can get quite attached to. Um, their name as a writer and and their kind of mm. reputation and it must be already something interesting for yourself the fact that you have crossed several different genres and age ranges and do you feel attached to who you are as a writer and and the name Emily Barr and that or what that means or yeah not really I mean I I have really loved having a pseudonym and I think um I, I quite wish I'd used a pseudonym all along now because it's it's mm. just it feels psychologically healthy in a weird way to separate yourself from the author of your book. So so I my policy is which has been hard learned over the years is just not to look at any reviews. I don't look at any reviews at all. Not good ones, not bad ones, just nothing. I don't look at Amazon. I don't look at Goodreads. I just don't. In fact, at one point, I I, I find Goodreads is great for readers but terrible for authors and people are very very harsh on there and at one point I actually set up some parental controls on my laptop um, where I had blocked myself from being able to look at Goodreads (laughs) because it was stopping me writing you'd see like the one person saying something awful about your book and then I'll just go into this spiral of like god they're right it's terrible I shouldn't be writing books and and so I, I don't look at anything at all ever mm. and um I think that that feels I feel a lot more equilibrium as I can focus much more on my writing now that I'm not worrying about what people are saying about it and I think if I was starting again I would use a different name for writing from my actual day day-to-day name because it feels really healthy mm. I think just to separate yourself from the name that's on the book isn't although I don't know this is going to make no sense but I feel like the name on the book is is a part of the book it's a part of the packaging of the book it's not it's it's about what's inside the book but it's all it's not you as a human mm. being and I I I would I would absolutely use um use a different name I can completely, completely see I'm that. starting out again I think that's amazing advice actually because I think particularly when you're starting out there is the the book is still very much attached to the ego, or at least that's how I mm. feel about my work still. Like I'm saying about these colleagues who've recently released their books, I started yeah. finding myself looking at all of their reviews and then really feeling for them of, oh gosh, mm. which one are they taking notes of? Because there are some amazing reviews. And then there's the cl- classic ones where someone just, it wasn't the right book for them, but it comes out sounding really scathing. And yet I yeah. still think, well, actually the work, the work is done and the writer's moved on and they're into whatever world they're into next. Um, but mm-hmm. it, it's, it's very usual, particularly in modern life, I think, for us to kind of account for 
our own worth and our own self-worth by someone else's judgment of us and that outside affirmation yeah rather than the totally. feeling of actually writing the book and what that brings yeah completely um i i think it's i mean when i published my first book backpack it was 2001 and amazon was was really quite new then and there were amazon reviews and that was a huge novelty but there there wasn't this sort of there wasn't any twitter and there wasn't the kind of like everything being being online and it it's becoming more and more so I think that you you know if you if you're feeling bad about yourself you could look online and find find like 10 terrible reviews of your books really easily and I just think nobody should should do that it's let's leave that for readers I I, know I'll I'll read through reviews of books if I'm looking for a book to read but I will never ever ever read Mm. reviews of my own books because I know it'll just spiral me into not being able to write anymore Mm. I know it will so I don't let it happen tell me about how is it um living with a writer then so if you manage to create that distance from your work and what other people are receiving from it I know that your husband is also a well-known writer and so you've kind of still got that world with you everywhere and he reads your books I guess and Mm. gives you feedback on that yes he does Um, we read each other's books all the time and he's he's always the first person I show anything to so it what works well is that we don't write the same kind of books so Craig mainly writes picture books and he's he's got one on the go at the moment and you would think that writing a picture book was was really easy and it really one thing I've learned is that it really isn't like every single word on every page it's almost like a poem in a way in that you've got so few words that every word has to be exactly the right one whereas I feel like in a novel you can ramble on um, in any way you want to and um, it you know you, you can sort of ramble on about something that that you've you've thought of for for a couple of pages and it doesn't matter you can take out any editing or whatever yeah. whereas um I, i've never wanted to write a picture book and now I, I i really feel like it would be a little bit beyond me so he's writing his things and i'm writing mine and we read each other's each other's work and it's it's really nice we do slightly struggle for space with so many of us in the house and everybody working from home but we we just about get around it. We have one room, which is where I'm talking to you from now, which is my my eldest son is at university and he is actually at university. He's, he's on lockdown at university right. at the moment. So this is his bedroom is um, is our office. So you have to kind of reserve it if you need it. So I'm in I'm in here now. And um, later on, I know Craig's got got some work calls to do. And so he's he's booked in <laughs> this afternoon. So it's very <laughs> democratic of you. <laughs> working around each other all the time on lo- in lockdown in particular. I'm amazed because I, I, I think it's quite uh, easy as a writer to get a bit romantic about it. But I loved spending all my time around, among writers when I was studying. And, and I think there's all these very mm-hmm. famous relationships of two writers. And, and yet often I've sort of said to my partner, wow, it would be a nightmare in my head because I get so deep in a project I would be locking that door if I were you like no you're not coming in here (laughs) but it sounds like you two kind of manage very well to both be in those spaces and share and yeah and not yeah we we manage I mean I honestly I spend a lot of my writing time writing in bed I'll wake up early in the morning and just pull up the laptop and um 
it's particularly in this lockdown um, when there's people in every room in the house. The the bed has become my office, so I'll I will just um, just get the laptop and and go and sit back in bed with it because it's the only place where I can find a spare room. But I don't mind that it's comfy. That sounds great. Yeah, <laughs> I guess um, there's one more thing that I've been burning to ask you about in terms of space as well, mm. and that is how you found the transition to being a mother and writing how as a mum you have managed to kind of find space and time over the years to be having yeah the ability to write your own work yeah I I think I my first child was born in the same year that my first book came out so almost 2001 was a big a big year for for me um so I've been for for the past 20 years I said oh god 20 years yeah um oh my child's gonna be 20 this year oh god um yeah um I have been juggling the two things and I've always found it okay I found um when when they were very little it was obviously more difficult and I did a lot of put the baby down for a nap and quickly do some writing and um using using childcare, using um, family help wherever you can. But basically I did, I have done a lot of um, kind of setting them up with some Lego or something and rushing off to to do a little bit more writing. I've got use, looking back now, I don't know how I did it when they were very little because when you've got toddlers, it really is all consuming. Mm. But but I did, I, we were living in France for a while when, um, when my youngest was born. So I was, I was in rural France with a, like a baby, a two-year-old and a four-year-old. And the four-year-old was at school. The two-year-old went to a childminder. I would write while the baby was napping. And somehow it gets done because you have to do it. I think that was, at that stage, I was very much writing a book a year for headline of my psychological thrillers. And so right. starting out in journalism, I think the best thing I ever got from journalism was just a massive respect for deadlines. So as long as there's a deadline and someone's actually waiting for it, you find ways of of just getting it done when you can and also using um, any help you can possibly get. I don't want to be like, you know, I'm sitting there breastfeeding while typing with the other hand I was I was I did have I had a friend up the road who was a childminder um my children's dad my ex-husband would take them out and about and do things with them we'd we'd kind of work around each other and you just find ways and then as they get older it just gets easier and easier and easier and now they're teenagers and they wouldn't particularly notice if they didn't speak to me all day as long as long as there was food so it suddenly becomes incredibly easy oh it's brilliant it's really great to hear how you've managed to make that work for you because life just throws so many random things our way and and as a writer I think we constantly do have to find ways to be flexible move around it and it's it's not always easy to feel like that's acceptable by the rest of the world I don't think but it's um it's it's our job it is it absolutely is and I I think there is maybe a slight taboo in that um I I always feel like you I I need to say I I I had help I took advantage of all Mm. the help I could get because I don't I think there is this kind of feeling that if you're a mother you have to be completely Mm. focused on your children and self-sacrificing and put and do everything else around that um and actually men don't hesitate mm-hmm. to get someone else to look after their child so they can write their book or whatever and i i think you you know you you need to take take the help that's available and and balance it up and you you will 
find a way to do it because it you know life life sort of works out yeah yeah no I think that's really good advice and I think we can all take that at the moment even just for trying to find whatever little space there is that we can make easier for ourselves in order to be able to yes. return to the page oh Emily thank you so much for talking with me it's been such oh, a pleasure thank you it's been really lovely thank you can you let us know when um when things to do before the end of the world is going to be released and where we might be able to find it when that happens yes I, I think it's publication date is currently in May but I haven't checked lately so I'll check that amazing well we'll do our best to promote it for you thank you you've been listening to words in a time of lockdown a podcast from the writer's block cornwall music production and editing has been by amp hit subscribe and like to support us and hear when the next episode is released we look forward to sharing another conversation with you next time